Well, this morning we are beginning a new uh, sermon series. So glad that you're here as we begin to study for the next few weeks, Jonah. And uh, things will be a little different on the screen this morning. Uh, my computer suffered uh, a, um, a, an attack of sorts. And so I, I don't have one at the moment. And so you will have no notes on the screen uh, because I couldn't get my uh, sermon to the folks who needed it. And then secondly, uh, New Year's Eve, I guess, uh, New Year's Day, uh, the crud hit me. And uh, that by that night, my temp was 101 point something and point four, and uh, low-grade fever last night. I'm feeling much better, uh, but uh, my voice is a little messed up. So uh, just bear with uh, me on both accounts. Good to see you here this morning, and uh, there's an old Chinese proverb that says, the uh, journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Uh, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, and this morning, we're going to talk about the single step, and we're going to talk about the destination at the end of the thousand miles. Uh, as we do, we'll discover two truths, and they're quite simple. Uh, truth number one, God has a mission. Truth number two, you have a commission. Uh, truth number one, God has a mission. Truth number two, you have a commission. And certainly God had a mission uh, that he was so interested in, uh, interested in accomplishing when we look at the life and the story of Jonah. And God's mission was a city named Nineveh. Verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. Let's talk about Nineveh for a moment, because uh, when you and I hear the word Nineveh, perhaps it means very little to us. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Assyria was the reigning dominant power in Jonah's day. Jonah is a prophet who followed Elisha. So you've got Elijah, his protege Elisha. You've got a 40-year window during which Jonah served, and then there's Amos. And so in this 40-year window is Jonah. What's interesting and different about Jonah is this. Jonah, all we know of him is this uh, Nineveh experience. Jonah served. Uh, uh, history says that he uh, served Jerusalem, maybe had a successful prof prophetic campaign there. It's just not in Scripture. This is not a story as other prophecies are about Israel or Judah. This is a story of Jonah. And so God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital then of Assyria, the ruling uh, uh, empire of the day. Uh, Nineveh was, uh, Assyria was, uh, had threatened Israel already three times. They were an enemy of Israel, of Jonah's people. And so Jonah would naturally not want to go there. As a matter of fact, to get the full picture of Assyria or of Nineveh, Nahum, the prophet, writes about it in Nahum uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Let me read it to you. Woe to the bloody 
city. This is talking about Nineveh. And Nahum writes like a remarkable poet. I'll read it as he wrote it in the Hebrew. Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. Here's where the poetry begins. The crack of the whip, rumble of the wheel, galloping horse, bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword, glittering spear, host of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the dead bodies. This is a formidable uh, uh, city who kills people without any concern for humanity. Uh, Nahum doesn't stop there. Listen, and all for the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful and of deadly charms, who betrays nations with her whorings and peoples with her charms. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and will lift up your skirts over your face, and I will make nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame. I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. And all who look at you will shrink from you and say, Wasted is Nineveh. Who will grieve for her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Those are the people to whom God called Jonah. Uh, There are two reasons Jonah most likely would want to go. Number one is fear. Fear. Why? Uh, They would rather kill him than eat when they're hungry. They are killing ruthless people. So number one reason is fear. Number two reason is anger. They've threatened Jonah's people now three times. And Jonah is naturally angry at them. Fear or anger could prohibit him, uh, keep him from following through with this call of God on his life to go to Nineveh. Um, it would be equivalent today of God calling you to go to Syria and preach the gospel or go to ISIS and declare the good news of Jesus Christ to a people who hate anyone or anything about the West. God told Jonah to go. This happened several years ago. Pastor Paul Yongi Cho was his name. Uh, pastor of the largest church in the world of more than 100,000 in Korea. Cho had said that he would never, ever, ever go preach in Japan. And he said, the reason I won't go to Japan is because of what the Japanese did to the Koreans in World War II. The atrocities, the crimes that were committed, I won't go. And secondly, Cho's own family were recipients of that. And he said, I won't go. They petitioned him, they requested, and finally, after numerous requests, Cho said, yes, I'll go. And he shows up in Japan uh, to speak to a thousand pastors. As he is speaking to those pastors in Japan, as he prepares to speak, he steps up to the stage as a thousand pastors fill that room waiting for this great man of God, this pastor uh, that God has blessed tremendously to speak. And when Cho gets up to speak, here's what comes out of his mouth, uh, this phrase three times, I hate you, I hate you, 
I hate you. And the room was deathly quiet. Cho was overcome and made desolate by this long-held hatred for people who had hurt his family and his people so much. What followed that brief sermon, if you will, pastor one after another got up and they walked up to the stage and they got down on their knees in front of Cho and they begged his forgiveness for what their people had done to him and his people. And God broke him. And once that was over, he began to speak and his resounding message was, I love you, I love you, I love you. The Japanese were his Nineveh. They were his unreachables. And my guess is that you have yours. My guess is that as you sit here this morning, there's someone in your mind you dare not pray for, you don't care for, you don't care if they go to hell. You don't care. You may even hate them. You may, without realizing it, wish them great harm. Or perhaps you just think they're too hard. Uh, You've prayed for so long, they'll never, ever come to Christ. A week ago, Saturday, my phone rang. On the other end was a college student from Montreat by the name of Trey. And Trey, uh, I had driven to Asheville uh, uh, one time last semester after teaching. He doesn't have a car. And on the way back, uh, I just asked him about his faith. And he said, well, I don't want to offend you, but I I don't go to church ever. He said, maybe I've been to a funeral in the last uh, uh, 20 years of my life. That's it. And I said, why? He said, well, I don't want to offend you. And I'm thinking, well, you already have. Um, but uh, he said, I, uh, I don't believe what you believe. And I said, well, Trey, appreciate your honesty. I really do. Appreciate you being honest. And I pulled off and set him out on the interstate and kept going. Just kidding. And so I said, I appreciate your honesty. And uh, So it was one day after class last fall, he came up to me and he said, you know that, that, that thing you talked to me about in the car? And I said, yeah. He said, I think I might be ready. And I said, well, come to church Sunday. And he came here to worship and he came to the house, ate lunch. We sat on our front porch and he wasn't ready. It was clear when I laid out the cost of following Christ and how his lifestyle would have to change. No, he wasn't quite ready for that. He, he said several, you mean this? Yeah. You mean, yeah. So a week ago, Saturday, my phone rings. It's Trey on the other end. He had tried to call once. I didn't get the call. I got the call the second time around. I said, uh, Trey, uh, Merry Christmas to you. He said, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, he said, uh, you know that saved thing you've been talking about? I said, yeah. He said, I'm ready. I said, right now, today? He said, right now, today. I said, Trey, tell me why? He began to explain 
this low place God had brought him to and how he thought that he needed Jesus. I said, Trey, remember all that life change we talked about? Remember all that stuff you got to lose and, and, and you, you can't love anymore? Do you remember? Yes, I do. You ready to be done with that? Yes, I am. And right there on the phone, Trey gave his life to Christ. Is anybody too hard for God? No. If you've been around Grace for a while, you remember just a few months ago, I flashed a picture on the screen. It was of uh, a kid by the name of Muhammad. Muhammad is uh, a kid who goes to college in Virginia, ended up down here by almost a freak accident just for a few weeks in the summer, came across the road to worship. I met him that Sunday morning when he came to worship. He is obviously, by his name, a practicing Muslim. He had, uh, when he spent time with our family, the app on his phone that would remind him of the five times a day he needed to pray to, uh, to Allah. He uh, went to college and then worked uh, up in Alaska for the summer. Larry and Ida Mock, who are members here, Jamie and Casey Stevens, who are members here, went on a cruise to Alaska. They had never met Muhammad before. They went on a cruise to Alaska last summer. They go into a shop and they meet this kid. And when they meet this kid and this kid is talking to them about uh, his life or whatever, he says, well, I know a pastor in a town in North Carolina. And Larry says, well, we're from a town in North Carolina. And Larry says, what we all say, if you're from Old Fort or Marion, I always say, when people say, where are you from? I say, near Asheville. Why? Nobody knows where this is, right? So I always say, near Asheville. So uh, Larry says that. And Muhammad says, well, it was near Asheville too. And Larry says, well, where was it? And Muhammad says, Marion. And Larry says, I'm from Marion. Who's the pastor? Muhammad says, Jerry Lewis. And Larry says, he's my preacher. And they struck up a conversation right there. And God began to break Larry Mock's heart for Muhammad. And I showed a picture of them with him in Alaska. Muhammad was here in worship last Sunday morning, second service. He was in town for Christmas in here in worship. He comes to our house afterward, eats lunch with us. We're outside, he and I playing ping pong. And when he says, Jerry, I said, yeah. He said, uh, I'm beginning to doubt my Islam faith. And inside I went, yes. <laughs> Why? Why? Because Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Jesus made that clear. And if Muhammad's going to come to Christ, he come to go to heaven, he'll come through Christ. That's Jesus' own words. Let me ask you, is Muhammad too hard for God to save? No. No. No, not at all. God can save Muhammad and appears to be hot on his trail, doesn't he? This man came up to me in tears after the early service. And he said, we came down to visit family here from Pennsylvania. My daughter, while we were here, ran away. We have not heard from her nor seen her since Christmas Day. The FBI 
is now looking for her. Is his daughter too hard for God? No. No. No, not at all. Not at all. You see... Uh, there may be somebody you've written off, and for Jonah, it was the Ninevites. There's, there's no way they can come to Christ, nor should they. Look what they've done, and look who they are, and look at their history, and look at their story. But, but thankfully, we are a group of people who should have been written off, but God didn't. Amen? We're a group of people who have sins that stack high to the ceiling, who have hearts that are bent toward evil, who have thoughts that are not godly all the time. But God in his grace did not write us off, but reached out to us and saved us. And that's why we sit here this morning. Amen? That's why we're here. And so God has a mission. Jesus said, I've come to seek and save who? The lost. I've come to seek and save the lost. And we have a commission. That word commission, or as I'm saying it with the emphasis on that first little two uh, letters, commission means to come alongside. You know what that means? It means the mission isn't mine, right? I don't have Jerry's plan to save the world. No, God has a plan to save the world. And in his infinite grace said, Jerry, you're part of it. Wow. And you are too. If you know him, you're part of it. That's a co-mission. To come alongside the mission of God and to participate in it. To say, okay, God, there is a part for me in your plan to save the world. There's a part for me, a commission. So what is that part? Here we go. Uh, go to Nineveh. Uh, verse 3 does not begin with a good word. It, it is a conjunction. It's the word but. And whenever God tells you to do something, that's not the best word to follow it with. But, but God. Uh, and this says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Uh, there's an old black preacher who preaches this sermon like this. And he says, Jonah went down, 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 and down. And he did. Down to Joppa, down to Tarshish, down into the ship, down, lay down, fast asleep. Whenever God gives you the next step, the commission, the, 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 the role, the job, whatever it is, and you, there is a conjunction there, which is a but, and you say, no, God, I'm going to do my thing, you will go down. Every time you will go down, you can't straddle the fence. You'll either do his will or you won't. You either say yes or you'll say no. There's not a maybe. There's not if I feel like it. There's not, oh, this might be a pot. No, no. You'll either go down or you'll go up. You're either in or you're out. You either say yes or you'll say no. You don't straddle the fence when God calls. It's a yes or a no. It's not a maybe. And so Jonah went down. What happens? Uh, can I say this? For every conjunction you have, God has an equal and bigger one. Look at verse four. 
but the Lord. I love that. God says, Jonah, go. And guess what happens? But Jonah. And then guess what God says? But the Lord. Wow. But the Lord. Hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest, so that the ship threatened to break up, and the mariners were afraid. My understanding is any storm that makes sailors afraid is a big deal. So they were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They were most likely Phoenicians. They all chose a favorite God, so they each cry out to their God, hoping that if one God is asleep or one God is uh, impotent, that the other God can step up and save the day. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Jonah is sleeping through this horrific storm. And so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Can I ask you a question this morning? Is there anybody in the room that wants to be called a sleeper? Do you want that to be the epitaph on your tombstone one day? Well, well, what was he known for? He could He could sleep. He could do a mean Sunday afternoon nap. We laugh at that. But have you ever, ever seen kids going down fast and parents asleep at the wheel? They won't discipline. They, they won't call out their son or their daughter. Sleepers. Hoping it'll all work out in the end. I've sat in my office on more than one occasion with a husband and wife, marriage falling apart. She is asleep. He is asleep. It'll work out. Jonah was sleeping while the ship was sinking. And they said, arise. Second time that word is used, incidentally, in this passage. The first one was God saying, arise. Now you've got pagan Phoenician sailors saying, Jonah, get up. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Evidently, Jonah didn't. And the only reason I say that is if you look at verse 7, they convened a meeting and they cast lots. Casting lots is just an interesting, simple thing. It is, uh, would either have been large sticks or maybe uh, stones that have been mashed into coins, um, something like that, uh, or dice. It, it's chance. And so you draw sticks, and whoever gets the shortest stick, it's you. And guess who the lot fell on? Jonah. I love it. This is the predecessor to uh, to um, CNN. Here he goes. They said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come up on us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what, from what people are you? It's interrogation 101, right? This is a reporter going off on Jonah. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. And something happens that you cannot miss 
we get so caught up in the Jonah part of the story, we miss great details. Here it is. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? Why are they afraid? Don't miss this. I'm going to step aside. I'm going to give you a little mini sermon for just a moment. All right, this is the reason they are afraid. Jonah reveals to them that he is a Hebrew and that his God is the God who made the sea and the dry land. Why does that matter? If he made it, then by extension, he controls it. This is why if I were Satan, I would have done exactly what he has done now for uh, 100, 150 years. And what is it? undermine our belief in a creator God. If he can get us to believe that this is all chance, that this is all uh, an accident, then our faith in a God who is above it all, who controls it all, will be diminished. You say, Jerry, how do you know? Hebrews 11 says, by faith we believe that God created the heavens and the earth. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek after him. If your faith in a creator God begins to erode, if you buy into the lies of macro evolution and your faith in a creator God begins to erode, then all values, all morals will begin to slowly seep out of your life. As soon as those pagan Phoenician sailors heard that Jonah worshipped the God who created the heavens and the earth, they, they are now afraid of that God, not the storm. It's an interesting thing. Jonah, what should we do? He says, well, hurl me into the sea and it will calm down. These guys have more concerned for humanity at this point than Jonah does. They're pagans, and they said, no, we'll row hard. And they row hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, uh, don't let us die, O Lord, for you have done as it pleased you. I want to give you a little bit of theology right here. This is called the sovereignty of God. God's ultimate control over the course of events of human history, personal and big. Say, so what do you mean? God controlled the storm. God controlled the lots, right? When they cast lots, fell on Jonah. And these pagan sailors say, God, you have done as it has pleased you. You're in charge. We're going to throw him into the sea. Don't let his blood be on our hands. And they toss Jonah overboard and the seas calm down. Why? God had a mission. M-I-S-S-I-O-N colon Nineveh. Jonah had a commission. C-O-M-M-I-S-S-I-O-N or C-O-M-I-S-S-I-O-N. What is your commission, Jonah? Go. So I want you to take out your connection card. Dave's going to come and play for a moment. On it, I've given you some potential ideas. Put your name on the front, on the back. I believe my next step. Remember, uh, 
the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And I've listed some. If you came in here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, like Trey, you can say, okay, that's next step for me. I I need to believe, trust. Maybe you've been coming to grace, but God is saying, uh, no longer on the sidelines. Uh, We need to go to starting point, learn what this church is about. Then check that one. Maybe you're not in a group. You need to be. They need you and you need them. Check that one. Serve in ministry. Maybe it's share the gospel with somebody you thought was impossible. Or mine isn't on the list. I, I wrote it down in the early service. I know what my next step is. I know what it is. God revealed it to me about the second week of December. Now, the title of the sermon is Your Life in Six Words or Less. Why? Well, uh, a few years ago, there was an online magazine that kind of spinning off what they believed to be a challenge to Ernest Hemingway to write a story in six words or less, or at least based on a title in six words or less. Hemingway's story was called this, For Sale, Baby Shoes, Never Worn. You can imagine what that story is about. Well, that magazine was flooded with responses. The challenge to people was this. What if you wrote the story of your life in six words or less? What would it be? Here are some of the things that came into this online magazine, almost crashed the site. It turned into a book called Not Quite What I Was Planning. Here's one, kind of funny. One tooth, one cavity, life's cruel. Next one, more serious. Savior complex makes for many disappointments. The third one that I have to share. Cursed with cancer, blessed with friends, written by a nine-year-old boy. The next one's funny. The psychic said I'd be richer. This one is only five words. One long train to darkness. Next one's funny. Tombstone won't say had health insurance. The next one, more serious. Not a good Christian, but trying. The last one I will share with you says, thought I would have more impact. My question for you is, if you were to write the story of your life in six words or less. Or if the casket is here and I'm standing here and I summarize your life to all those who sit and listen and look, what might I say? All week I've pondered this as I knew I would preach it and I've developed mine and it's interesting how it has 
riveted my attention how conversations that I think would have been less than have been more than because of that one single statement. So I wrote a blog based on this that went up at 11 this morning. And I want you to go and share yours. As you develop your six words or less, share it. I want to talk back and forth with you, enoughfortoday.org. That's uh, our blog, our staff blog, enoughfortoday.org. Go there, share yours. Let's talk back and forth. Today, the question is, what is your next step? So as Dave plays softly, just take your connection card, check one of the things I've, I've offered, or write in your own. If you say, Jerry, it's, it's too personal for me to write, that's okay. Just put, pray for me as I take my next step. Let's take some time to do that.